In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. One of the more interesting, challenging, and humbling truths about us as human beings, marvelously contradictory creatures that we are, is that we can live with more than one reality at the same time. And sometimes those realities could not be more different. We're capable, for example, of holding both grief and joy in our heart at the same time both disappointment and hope. It's possible to have everything going right and feeling half alive. It's possible when facing a terminal diagnosis to feel the most alive. We can be right and wrong at the same time. We can be kind and caring and in the same day hurt someone deeply. And not only those distant ones who bear the brunt of the sins we're not aware of, but those close in, those we love, or ought to love the most. Say all this in religious language, we are both sinners and saints. And while we could all point to examples of those who have clearly tipped the scale in one direction or another, <laughs> truth is, we're all pretty much a mixed bag. And Jesus knew this about us, which is one reason he loved to teach in paradox, which is to help us hold more than one truth at once and to live in that space. You remember his story about the sinner rising from prayer redeemed instead of the righteous man and of religious people turning away from a wounded one on the roadside while a person of a despised race stopped to help. Or how he told the men who wanted to kill the woman caught in the act of adultery, the woman caught in the act of adultery. <laughs> that the one who was, out, was, was without sin was free to cast the first stone and how, how he prayed on the cross for those who put him there. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How much reality can one heart hold? I heard the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Roland Williams, say much the same thing in a talk he gave at Wheaton College last April. He was speaking about the novel Lila by Marilyn Robinson, which is the third in her wonderful trilogy set in the fictional town of Gilead, Iowa. And Williams described this novel as being about, quote, the insufficiency of goodness haunting phrase, if there ever was one. The good, he said, are those who don't always see the sin they're implicated in. We like to define ourselves as good, he said, because then we know where the boundaries are. But we're all blinded by what we're shaped by. We don't know what we don't know. We can't see what we don't see. Lila is a story, he said, about how the good are saved, never mind the evil. Well, 
by now you've surely surmised that I'm setting the context in which to reflect upon the rich, complex, blessed and broken collective that is every church, that is St. Albans Church. There is so much goodness, courage, and blessing in your history and in your life now. And there have been more than one wounding episodes. You're just emerging from one of those now, during which people said and did hurtful things. When those in leadership, including me, made costly mistakes, when there were plenty of sins of commission and omission to go around and more than a few missteps, which were not intentional, but hurtful nonetheless. Now, it wasn't the first painful chapter in your history, heaven knows, and if you remain human, it won't be the last. And yet, here's the thing, even when things were really hard, the hardship wasn't the only truth about St. Albans in that moment. Even when people said hurtful things, that wasn't the only truth about them. Even when your leaders made mistakes, they also, even on the same day, acted courageously and faithfully. You were living then, as you're living now, more than one reality. And in the darkest hours, it's always tempting to see a pathology under every rock, just as it's tempting to see only the good when things look good, you know? Now, and I don't mean to speak about all of this in the third person, <laughs> as if I wasn't there, <laughs> and a part of it, because I was. And I've spent many an hour in prayer wondering what I could have done differently. But I know this, I know this, it wasn't one reality over against another. There was a lot going on. A lot of it was very good. Some of it was really hard. What I love about you, St. Albans, and what will hold you in very good stead going forward is that you have collectively a capacity and spiritual maturity to hold it all we do and i love that we began this afternoon in a, posh, in a posture of collective repentance so that we might feel together the release and mercy of god and the mercy we now are obligated to extend to one another it doesn't erase the past but it allows god to continue to redeem it this is a story it will be a story of redemption and growth and humble recognition that even in one of the strongest communities, hurtful things can happen, and even when we are good, there can be an insufficiency to our goodness. But you'll tell the story now with grace and the kind of quiet confidence of those who have lived through a storm and come out the other side together, deep, Lasting friendship, David White, the poet, has said, is a path of mutual forgiveness. And surely the same must be said of Christian community. And in the midst of all this, 
Who should arrive into the Diocese of Washington without a job? <laughs> oh, it astonishes me still <laughs> how Jeffrey came to us, how Jeffrey came to you, St. Albans, through circumstances that were not without complication of their own. Story of Jeffrey and Sage and Ruthie and Allison's arrival in Washington could have had any number of beginnings, and the Holy Spirit could have taken them in any number of directions. But here they are. Here Jeffrey is, a man with his own story to tell, with particular gifts that seem uncannily well-suited for St. Albans in this moment. One of the things we know about you, Jeffrey, is that you are eminently capable of holding one, more than one reality in your life and leadership at a time. <laughs> you do not suffer fools gladly, yet you are among the most gracious people I've ever known. You are completely at ease with academics, politicians, and the most erudite of theologians, and yet you hold in equally high esteem those who are manual workers, and especially those whose work begins after the rest of us leave the room. You don't panic when we show our worst, and you authentically delight in us when we shine. You have a passionate vision for what the kingdom of God realized on earth could look like, and you are committed to that, and yet you accept unblinkingly realities that are presented to you and you encourage us all to start where we are and work with what we're given. So here we are, officially poised now at the threshold of possibilities. There are all sorts of reasons why Jeffrey is a good match for St. Albans, but there are also all sorts of reasons why St. Albans is a good match for Jeffrey. There's no insufficiency of goodness here. More than enough upon which to build a solid foundation, grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy. And I have to say how gratified I am um, for the growing collegiality between the, the cathedral's leadership and that of St. Albans. It is the most curious thing, you know, to have two congregations sharing the same property, um, having the same bizarre history. Um, and now, here, together, united in a common purpose. And also in collaboration with congregations up and down Wisconsin Avenue, congregations just large enough to imagine they could or must do everything themselves as separate entities. It's, our, it's the bane of our existence as Episcopal churches. Somehow this idea that collaboration might be a sign of weakness rather than an investment in strategic strength. You, you will help us change that narrative with your good colleagues, many of whom are sitting right here. Now I have to say, Jeffrey, that your choice of scripture passages for this afternoon was not exactly subtle. <laughs> Each one brings the point home that we're in this together. There's only one savior in the body of Christ and it isn't any one of us. There are no superstars. Every one of us has an offering to make and no, no offering is more important really than another. Spiritual leadership isn't a matter of pulling magic out of a hat. 
but more of one of gathering up the fragments, as Jesus said, gathering up the fragments so that nothing is lost and offering those fragments, those loose ends, the total catastrophe that is our glory, offering it to Jesus as the raw material with which to work miracles. So let's celebrate. Let's celebrate this moment of joy and give thanks for it and approach the table of mercy and grace together. Then we all need to go home and get a good night's sleep for tomorrow beckons and with it another day to live as the wonderfully complex, broken and blessed, redeemed, forgiven sinners that we are, called to follow Jesus in his way of love. May it be so. Amen. Amen.